the water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end, sow it, you will reap it, we talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it, take a deep breath, you are now rocking with founders. Hey, hey. so I have a fun topic for today. Oh, give it to me. So if you were, let's just pretend because it is somebody close to me, but let's pretend that somebody close to you is like starting a local business, like maybe something in home services, like maybe it was a painting business. What, from a brainstorm perspective, how would you get, let's say your first customer, your first couple of customers, and then what do you think are the important elements to scale a business like that? So while you're thinking, I'll say um, that what I've learned about this but i think it's very interesting because i used to be not in home services but i used to be in the services industry you have some background used to be a painter yeah you see a painter (laughs) and it used to be in the services business we were charging for work didn't have painters doing it had developers doing it designers doing it what have you but what's interesting to me is that the home services space in particular seems very different what so it's a lot of people who will tell you they'll be there tomorrow at one and they won't show up at all. That's right. Or the prices that are given are, hey, how much is it to paint this room in this room? And one, one person comes in, they say $1,200. Next person, exact same bid or exact same quote, $4,200. You know, like the quotes are so wildly crazy yeah. that if you're a consumer, you're not a sophisticated buyer of this stuff. How do you decide to buy? And then... The prices are all over the place, and then the promises are all over the place. So it's, oh, yeah, we could have that done by Friday. What if it's not done by Friday? So, so there's there's reputation yeah, and, like and all this. Reviews. I'd say, to ask you a question, I think the way I would start is by taking my car, painting it white, and then adding the logo of the business and call this number for a paint job. <laughs> it seems like that's what people do. I'm joking, but I, also, I see this like everywhere. This seems to be like the main way these folks advertise is on their car. And I always wonder, do people just dial the number when they see the car? And they're like, oh, I need a paint job. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about like signs, like yard mm, signs? Oh, yeah. Big fan of yardsticks signs because they don't blow away easily, believe it or not. As much as you think, when you like drill one of those yardsticks into the ground, which I've done before, I used to organize this little golf tournament in North Carolina. Oh. And those yardsticks, they definitely they can get hit by a golf ball and they <laughs> bounce right back. Very resilient. And, and they're super cheap. I think it's super cheap to print. Inflation uh, has hit that industry, I will tell you. They're made out of this plastic thing that that just is very sturdy and flexible and um, yeah, goes right in the ground. So I do think that's effective in season, right? This is how our politics work is so much spending on marketing goes into basically just signs like that on the side of every highway in America. I guess that's true. And so you can just replace all the political signs with your painting company. Some will disappear after the election. I don't know. Somebody just burns them or whatever happens, but they disappear after the election. And then you're right. What's left is, oh, we buy terrible cars or we buy homes or we can paint stuff or very local sort of. But how come none of those signs? So cash for cars, cash for house, all these things you're talking about. How come none of them? They all look the same. Like they're, they're all. Yeah, so, they're all like black letters on yellow background. Totally. And it's like they buy them off in the same place, right? They're all made in China somewhere. <laughs> they stamp some crap on them and then they bring them here. And what's interesting to me is that I did a Google search, did a bunch of Google searches for like painter Los Angeles, painting company San Diego, painting company right. Arizona. Craigslist. I'm sure Craigslist or Facebook is still the way. Still, still a thing for sure. But if you look at the top 
35 results from the painting companies, not just like painting dudes or gals. But if you look at the results and you open them all up in tabs and then you control tab between the tabs, they all look the same. Like they're all the same. It's like Johnson Brothers painting. And then it's like Bob Smith painting. And then they- Are they literally the same? They're like, not the same companies. Sometimes there are like these companies that specialize in just selling websites like Wix.com or whatever for painters. So then they literally are the same platform, same template, just name difference. Right? They certainly are. Like some of them, I'm sure there's a lot of Squarespace, a lot of GoDaddy, right. a lot of Wix. If you took the logos, like very few of them, they're a painting company and very few of them have color. That's right? sad. Isn't that interesting? That's sad. It's pretty much all men. So it's like all male names. <laughs> that There's no brand in there that... Which is surprising to me. But anyway, let's go back to the question. So let's pretend that you were broke and you were 24 and you knew how to paint pretty well. How would you get your first customer? What we just said. Yeah, it'd be guerrilla marketing, going door to door, yardsticks, like asking people. I'd have to see what services go with painting. Is it purchasing a price, purchasing a house, right? So then I'd shop around like the recently closed house deals and to leave my note in there, right? What what else is associated with when you need a paint job, right? Renovation, construction, a new neighborhood, things like that. It's a good idea. <laughs> when, have you ever gone door to door? No. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I think it's one of those things that it's easy to say and I wouldn't know. What would you say? If you were coming up to my door, what would you say? Yeah, I wouldn't do it. It would be too hard. <laughs> Uh, what I meant by door to door was really just I'm willing to like put one of those flyers in the person's on the front step or something or on their car or whatever. I remember I was 19. I wanted to do home IT work, right? I thought it was like good with computers. And so I printed up a hundred pink, pink sheets with like black text. And it said, hey, is your computer running slow? Malware, all this stuff. It was a flyer. And I was very proud of it. And I printed up a hundred of these. and. I still lived in my mom's house at the time. And so I went around her neighborhood and I put it, I knew, I had read online that it was illegal to put it in the mailbox. So right. I was like, oh, I'll just put it in the little, the newspaper People do box. it in that little thing that, in the flap. Apparently it's legal to put it in the flap. <laughs> I wish you would have been there then because what I did is I put it into the little tube, the newspaper tube. But the problem <laughs> yeah. is that the newspaper tube has a hole on both ends. And so I put it in there and I remember I did this whole street and I get to the end of the street and this big gust of wind comes through. And I remember turning, it was a very vivid memory of I turned and the whole street is littered with these pink flyers and they're everywhere they're all over these people i've littered this neighborhood now that i live in and i was like well, what do i do now i just spent an hour and a half putting doing all this diligent work and so i turned and i went home uh, and and i got a call from them so somebody called oh, me and i thought for it? sure they were going to complain because i had littered their entire neighborhood and it was this older guy really nice guy and he goes hey i got your flyer i said oh, okay <laughs> Probably literally was just walking around and <laughs> flew in his hand. Yeah, he was actually from 200 miles away. But he, he calls <laughs> it, he says, I, I, I got your flyer in this tornado. And can you come do, you know, can you make my computer faster? And I said, yeah, sure. It actually worked. I got $65 for that job. It was a lot of work for 65 bucks. Yeah. And But that really turned me off to flyers. Bulletin's another one. I remember when I was in college, like the way I got some of these gig works, like I trained somebody on HTML was off of these bulletins. And what you notice is a lot of local stores have these bulletins of just advertising local services and other businesses, not like very small businesses, not other 
huge businesses. And you can divide a paper at the bottom and just make 20 contact little things that are all like just hanging there and people rip them off. <laughs> what did you, what was it, HTML? You were websites? Yeah, this woman did a, so on the bullet board, you could go the other way. You could say, hey, I need something, right? Uh -huh. I need a person that can teach me web development or HTML. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I can do that. So yeah, I called that person and I taught her HTML for a few weeks. That was good money too. It was a great gig. Did she go on to get a job in web world? We haven't kept in touch. I was like, this was front page. It's like old web days. Knowing something was better than knowing nothing. And I just transferred that knowledge to her. How do you, if you're, so today, if you're starting a new business, if you're you, Flavio, you have a name and a reputation and all those things. When you were younger or when you think of someone who's a younger person who wants to start a business, but they don't have their first customer or they don't, they don't have a name to go on where if you go to your LinkedIn page, it's very, it's like very impressive. How would you recommend someone who doesn't have those things? How do they get the first customer? If I don't have a name to go on, how do I get that first customer? It's really hard. I'd say another story, which is that I was trying to be a waiter <laughs> during one summer. And believe it or not, you think waiters, oh, it's a beginner job. But people continually refuse to accept me as a waiter. And so I would go restaurant to restaurant and say, hey, you guys have any positions? Do like an interview? And they'd be like, no. We do need waiters, but not you. <laughs> and this continued day in, day out. I was really demoralized. I couldn't get a waiter job and until somebody told me, hey, there's a school for cooks and, and professionals in the service industry in the town called Johnson & Wales. Have you heard of this? No. It's like nationally renowned. I didn't know. Is this in England? And so I called them like, hey, can you guys get me a job? And they're like, no, we're a university. We don't. We're not a restaurant. We teach people how to work at restaurants. Like, how would I get a job at a restaurant? And they're like, you got to talk to the restaurants. Are there any restaurants you recommend? And they're like, yeah, there's a lot of fine dining restaurants in the Charlotte area. And I'm like, yeah, this one, this one. I've already talked to them. They said no. This one. And then there's this one called Zebra. And okay, great. So I call Zebra and they're like, hey, who's this? Or I walked in actually, and, and see like, that was door to door. It was door to door sales. So, you know, you're right. It was door to door. <laughs> and so the guy's like, "Why are you here?" And then this is the most important part. This is what changed the success of my endeavors. I said instead of saying, "Hey, I'm Bob, you need to be a waiter," I said, "Johnson and Wales sent me your way. Said you might have a waiter position available." And all of a sudden. Whoever Johnson was, I didn't even know who this brand was, but they carried a lot of weight in the industry that I was trying to get a job in. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, you're from Johnson Wales. Come on in. Uh, you can start tomorrow. And that's how I was able to finally get a job as a waiter. So it really worked. Yeah, it worked. It works there. Yeah, I was, they even trained me to be a sommelier, which I wasn't even 21 at the time. <laughs> and they weren't strict on rules in this restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> And so is it that, it sounds like what you're saying, that referrals are really, really important. Exactly. <laughs> this like, personal Good referral summary. means a lot. Yeah, totally. That credibility can be established by someone else that already has it, and they give it to you for a little bit, or you just take it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think also, I think of <clears throat> what makes a good painting company or home services or what have you, and then how do you scale a business like that, right? Because a lot of these painters, I think, just have jobs, right? They have jobs, except now, instead of 
Flavio being the only person doing the painting and whatnot, now there's just six people. And mm. and in some ways, and I saw this a lot in agency world too, it's actually better to be just a highly paid employee at an agency over being the owner. Because if you're a highly paid employee, you yeah. take none of the risk and you get paid great and you get a salary. Right. I wonder how true that is in other industries like this, right? Like painting sure. like or hair, plumbing. Hairstyling's one, right? Where the hairstylist, which by the way, I've learned I was talking to somebody who she's a hairstylist and they can make 200K. Hairstylists make 200K? <laughs> Hairstyling. And she doesn't even own the place. It's not even her place, right? So she rents a chair for, I forget what it was, some 20 bucks a day, some the minimum amount. But women are willing to, if you don't know, <laughs> willing to spend a lot on hair. And we're talking hundreds of dollars per session. And so when you do hundreds of dollars a session times hours a day, times days, times weeks, it can be a lot of money. In fact, so much money that, that you become a little a little more judicious about what times. Maybe you only work three to six. <laughs> you, don't, you only work certain days. You can allow you to set your own schedule. But the person who owns the actual chair and the building, their business is really just leasing out chairs for hairstylists. You're, yeah, you work independent about that, like an artist. And you can always move somewhere else. They're like, hey, all my clients, come over here. I'm no longer at that place. <laughs> and I thought that was a awesome business. Who'd have thought? I learned so much on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess one, one, one other, I think a fun thought experiment is how, if I had to grow this business 10x, right? So if the, if, my current business, we're going to double in size this year. What instead if I had to grow by 10x? I, whereas in, in, right. in software, I think that's easier because it doesn't require as many people. But if you're in a business like what you're talking about, or if you're in plumbing or right. any of these kind of home services business, there's, I'm not sure how much of an opportunity there is to have high growth. And that a lot of the people making a lot of money in painting have been doing it a long time. And is it necessary that you have to do it for 15 years in order to make a lot of money? Or, okay, side question is that there was really not a whole lot of money in being a taxi driver, right? So the drivers themselves made a good living and it was a good, honest living. But other than being like medallions and whatnot, there wasn't like tons of money until venture capital entered, until Uber and Lyft and all this. And they supercharged and created, it created demand because people who maybe would drive home drunk or walked home or what have you instead, because it was so easy to do the Lyft or the Uber, that they did it in that way. And so I think of stories like that, when I think of if you had to, on a larger scale, really build a business to where there's probably not a ton of money, but then how do you make it into a ton of money? And if I was building a painting business, it's like, how do you Uberize it? Now, I don't think that people actually want to paint this wall twice a year, because that'd be one way to increase demand. You only do it every 10 years, and now you want to do it twice a year. Great. Let's just convince everybody in the US to do that and use my business. I don't know. It's just a fun thought experiment around how can you hyper growth a business that's difficult to scale? Interesting. I just think you have to compromise scaling those businesses, right? You, scale, you often compromise on quality and customizability of the product in order to bring it to the masses right? Even if you're Amazon, you're going to have to do that. And, and it's a marketplace business, which I haven't done, but I know a bunch of people that have and talked about how hard it is because you have to build the supply and demand at the same time, right? You need the people who are painters like, hey, I need a paint job today. And so then you're like, oh my God, I got to find all the people who do Google ads and Facebook ads to find all the people that want a paint job today. 
And so you pay a bunch of money so you can make this guy happy. So, okay, great. I'll stay on as a painter for on your platform for tomorrow. But tomorrow I need work again. So you're, you're constantly trying to fit the supply and demand, and which is never perfect. So you're compensating with money. So I think you see in the case of Uber and Lyft how that, you can blame it on Travis and on the duopoly competition and on VC money being free. But I just think in general, even without all those factors, it's still a pretty bad business. It's not an ideal business. I wouldn't compare it to software. I would compare it more to Craigslist <laughs> because Craigslist that's what it is. It's a great business. It is a great business. Right? It's not, yeah, I don't think it's a software business, right? It's really just a supply demand matching business where you take a cut and anybody else can also do, a, do that and take a cut. And so, yeah, sure, you can scale it faster than anybody else, but they'll catch up eventually and drivers will get pissed. Like right now, by the way, did you know that today they made all the Ubers and Lyfts in New York, they said by 2030, they all have to be electric. And so what's happening is the city, like the city and the taxi people all hate these companies so much that they keep throwing stuff their way. No matter how much money they donate, they will always keep, if you go to the airport at JFK or LaGuardia, if you want a taxi, it's like to the left, it's like right here, there's a taxi. If you want an Uber or Lyft, it's like a two mile walk that way. And it takes 20 and, minutes and the wrong and car slower. shows up. And so they're like, still being fought to this day, a decade plus later, just to give an idea how hard those businesses are. So fun fact, the Craigslist, like the modern Craigslist of home services I've learned is Thumbtack. There's right. Angie, which used to be Angie's List. It's like Yelp is still, but Yelp has been a scam for 20 years and there's still a scam today. But what I think is interesting is Thumbtack. So Thumbtack is like a new entrant in this space, right? They're kind of like Uberizing it, let's say. And from everything I've read online, Thumbtack, five years ago or three years ago from a service provider perspective. So to your point, from the painter's perspective was great, right? They would pay 10 bucks or 20 bucks for a lead. Those days are gone. Uh, those days are gone. This person who's starting this painting company, hey, let's go see what the bids are. Like how much does it cost to get a lead? So for those who don't know, you go on Thumbtack and you say, hey, I've got a house, it's 2,200 square feet. I live in Vista, California, and I want four rooms painted. Okay, so then Thumbtack makes a quick value ca calculation about how much money are you willing to spend. Hmm. Now, they may or may not display that to the customer, but they do an internal calculation. And then they open it up to auction to the painters. And so now the painters, like you get to bid on it. And what used to happen, apparently, is that you would bid 20 bucks or 30 bucks and Thumbtack would let you in. They're like, okay. And there'd be like eight or 10 painters, not anymore. Now, Thumbtack says, the price for this lead is $181. Do you want to pay it? Well, the Bobby, painter has to pay it. The painter has to pay it. So the painter pays wow. 100 Like I was looking at real prices that Thumbtack was charging, $157, $180 for the lead. And by the way, you pay it whether or not you get the job. So, so you pay Thumbtack. And if the customer, let's say, Flavio, you're the one who filled out the form on Thumbtack. As long as you reply to me, to, as the painter, the service provider, boom, my money just went to flood. It just went to Thumbtack. Now, you don't have to prove that you actually wanted a paint job, right? You could have, doesn't matter. But either way, I pay the money to Thumbtack. So if you go on Reddit, you see all these very angry painters and handymen and everything else in there. But see, that's it. it's such a good point because I think this is why these businesses are cleaning, house cleaning. Is another super challenging business? All these people, as soon as they can, they get off the platform, right? So the next time you need a paint job, guess what? The painter's going to give you a cell phone. You're going to talk to them directly. There will never be a use for Thumbtack again. So they're trying to milk every dollar they can before that happens. And so it's just not a fun, I don't know, it's not a business I would want to be in.
And it's so hard because from a consumer's perspective, it's a hidden tax on the consumer yeah. because the consumer doesn't know. Right. Like I've used Thumbtack and I didn't know that my that the other party paid. I, I remember I, I hired a guy on Thumbtack to, I hired a handyman and I paid him 200 total dollars, okay? And he came out to my apartment twice. Now I feel bad because now that guy probably paid, I don't know, right. 50 or 60 or 70 bucks for that lead. Just think they changed the price based on your profile. So if you, I don't know, have a... LinkedIn or your title or whatever, they change the price of the paint job based on who you are? Well, you mean to the consumer or to the to painter? To the consumer. So they don't give the consumer price. So the painter still Gosh, gives the, the price. What about the painter's lead cost? Does that change? So my, my understanding is that the painter's lead cost is an auction slash bidding system. Now, what's unclear is, okay, Thumbtack wants $181. Fine. I bid 40 <laughs> And my understanding is that Thumbtack's like, fuck you. Like it, that, it's not a real bid. Because they know you could pay more. Or... They, I suspect that what's happening is that Thumbtack has enough data to know that lead is worth uh, more. Maybe the geography of it, that kind of thing. They don't look at your like actual credit worthiness. <laughs> they may. So you know, if you're building a system like this, how would you do it? Okay. So for instance, if somebody creates a brand new Thumbtack account and they give, they don't upload a profile picture, they don't connect any social profiles, that's right. a shitty lead. Right? They use some Gmail account. They get that's a shitty lead. Maybe that would be bid at twenty dollars. Okay. What's an alternative? Alternative is you have a Thumbtack power user who comes on Thumbtack all the time to get shit in their house, but and they always have they always give out five star ratings and like they're really, really that lead. If I was Thumbtack, I would charge a lot more money for because they have high intent. Like when but it they, ends up making their price more. For the, so the customer getting that paint job. That is what I'm saying. That's You're totally right. <laughs> the more you use Thumbtack, the worse your pricing gets. Yeah. That's like the horrible experience. Well, I just want to be clear. I don't know that part for <laughs> sure. But what I think is interesting is that to your point, it is a tax that the consumer is paying that they don't know. That oh there's this gosh. like rent-seeking behavior that, that all these guys are pulling out. Ubers, oh. Lyft, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Seamless, all of them. The glory days of... 0% interest rates where every, all this stuff was free and all this stuff is cheap and all these companies could lose money forever appear to be over. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's going back to like, how can we trick the consumer? By the way, you remember that lead I gave you about built the credit card for rent? Yeah. Well, it turns out there's a like fine print requirement that uh -oh. you got to use that credit card for five other expenses <laughs> per month in, outside of the rent. And just like such a catch, right? Now I have to like make five expenses on that card. Anyway, it's a small thing, but it's like, I, I can sense things in our world becoming more like that, more like they were a few years ago where everything is like fine print, like there's no free lunches anymore. Meal pal, everything. <laughs> I used meal pal today. Meal pal somehow still escaped. I don't know how meal pal's in business. I don't know how the restaurants are still accepting meal pal. I feel bad for them. I still use it. I have a very, very large credit because they keep rolling over. I've had meal pack for like five years and they keep rolling over my credits. And now I'm like, oh, I just got to use them all before the renewal in September. All right. Do you want to hit any other topics? Or one last think? one. So if you start a company, would you make it a C Corp, an LLC, or an S Corp? If I was starting a new company, all I care about is QSBS. <laughs> it's QSBS. I'm no expert, but it's a it is a program. It's a federal program that sounds too good to be true, which is the qualified small business stock, right? S small business stock exemption. You've actually used it, so why don't you why don't you explain what is QSBS? 
Yeah, my understanding is, that, and this is an argument in favor of a C corporation, because if you're a C corporation in certain industries, non-services, actually none of the businesses we just discussed would qualify as a C corporation, but primarily technology-based business, then you're a C corporation for at least five years, then after those five years, if you sell the company, you don't pay any taxes on the gains up to $10 million. And so that's called Section 1202 or QSBS, extra tax accountants. I think that's like the major benefit of C corporations. But is your, do you guys have a C corporation or an LLC? We do. So I have a consulting business that's an LLC, but the Signal Insights is a C corp. It's set up for QSBS. I didn't know what QSBS was until we were starting this company. And then our investors said, I'll put in the money, but it has to be QSBS. The other thing is, and I've learned this numerous times through the accelerator, is that investors won't invest typically in anything but C Corp. So if you're looking to get investors or yeah, VCs, they want to be a C corporation. If it's like a mom and pop's lifestyle business, like a services business, if you're doing just a paint job, that would be an LLC. So that's quick primer on why a C Corp. I love it. Everybody should Google QSPS. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Anything else? I think it's a wrap. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio sees the day on it. Until next time, hold it down, hold it down. Hey.